controlling your finances is one of the biggest, most essential parts of running a business. Hello and welcome to Founder Stories, the podcast for small business owners. I'm your host, Simon Kalou, and I created this show not only to motivate and inspire, but to give you actionable strategies to take back into your business, shortcutting your route to success. Each week, I'll sit down with real and relatable business owners, uncovering how they've created a business that gives them freedom, creates impact, and makes money. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Founder Stories. I'm super excited for this one because I've got the founder and managing director of Above and Beyond Solutions, Mr. Sam Stockmans. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Do you know why I'm so excited for this one? I just think that because of the challenges that you've been through, you've overcome and we've we've spoken about this, but not in depth. So, you know, we're doing that for the first time today. Go deep. You've overcome mental health challenges, which I, I don't see a lot of people talking about. There's a lot of positivity and a lot of practical steps. But today, I really hope we can help people who've been in your situation and the level of success that you've managed to achieve. You've gone from being made redundant and being diagnosed with ADHD to running one of the UK's fastest growing and most successful event companies. I can say that I've witnessed your work firsthand. We did the event Performex together this year. I had uh, just a small speaking role, but you uh, helped Grow Factor fully brand out the bar, make it really cool, the process. You really took the time to understand what we wanted, what our brand was, and turned us into a cool accountant for that show, which you was incredible. Cool thanks, very cool thanks very much. Thanks very much. So thanks for coming on the pod, mate. I appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. I want to sort of start backwards if we can. Tell me a bit about where you are now. What does Above and Beyond do now? What kind of clients do you work with, even if you want to pick one out from last year, something that you've done, um, so that people can see where you're at now, and then we can reverse back to try and understand how you got there. A lot of agencies use the term full service agency, and it just seems like a pretty, it's, it's a bit of a naff way to describe what we do. I mean, I like to push myself across as like more of a disruptive agency. I'm not here to be the same as everyone else what we want to do is define our own place within this industry and then equally allow the brands that we're working with to, again, sort of echo in, in what we're delivering is we don't want to do the norm. We don't want to be just your standard exhibition company. I think that that's what sets us apart. I've always worked on this model of 70-30. Like we know as a business that 70% of our income is driven by exhibitions. But for us, exhibitions, like I've worked at some of the UK's like largest uh, businesses that run exhibitions and they're, they're very monotonous and sort of bland and boring and that's not where we wanted to sit. Like I've come from um, a very disruptive world uh, which we'll come on to in a bit. And it's, it, it, it's I, I can't do bland and boring. So this is what Above and Beyond's about. I mean, my passion for events and entertainment has sort of ran deep within my veins from a very early age. Um, and I couldn't give what I'm giving to this business if it was in any other industry than the one that I'm doing. Back to your original point, and I will be doing this a lot. A lot I, this is perfect for my <laughs> podcast because 
what I love about this and how it's evolved is that what I think is going to happen with the podcast never turns out to happen. No. And actually, it's just a normal free-flowing conversation where we're both actually interested in what the other person's saying. Exactly. I will try and keep you on track, so that's okay. But Please. deviation is good, right? So above and beyond is, would you call it an events management company? You do everything from start to finish. So someone can come to you and say, I really want to run this event. Yeah. What can you do for them? And give me an example of something you did last year for maybe a larger scale event or a flagship client. I think it's it's that concept of delivery. Where my frustrations were at previous roles where I was probably the event manager or the brand activation manager is that you're having to go out to several different companies to deliver one objective. Now, for someone who's having to deliver several different objectives each month, you're then having to deal with seven different objectives with seven different suppliers dealing with seven different areas of what that objective is. And for me, it, it can be done all in one place. You just need a trusted like supplier. So for me, the best way to describe us is I'll probably say is that we like to go into brands and then become an extension of their team. Okay. We want to understand, learn, grow with that business because we are on a journey with them. I'm not interested in having a quick 50 grand activation and just earning 40% margins like a lot of the London agencies do. I'm, I'm there for longevity. If I have to build in and have sort of a, a work on a cost neutral basis just to get my foot in the door to show them why we're doing what we're doing and we're working with the people that we're working with, that then the impact of the campaign at the end will then cement us as, as suppliers naturally anyway. Um, the most important thing is the legacy that we lead as well. So I don't just want to do your bland campaigns. It's all about memorable experiences. I want this is a, a legacy piece now. I'm say I'm getting old. I'm 32, but like <laughs> I need like for me, it's not about yeah, sitting not in my ivory sitting in my ivory tower. You know, like a big like it's not about that life. I, I want to create experience. It's not about the money for me. It's about enjoying it. It's about loving what you do, and it's about having a lasting impression on it. I've digressed again, but hopefully we've no. Got but most I of mean, that. from that, I'm taking you help brands create experiences from what could be just an idea or a concept that they have, right through to where could they do that event? What venue could they do it in? What capacity? How would they budget for that? Sure what's the objective of the event ultimately how do we make it different and like you said every event for every brand presumably you only work with brands that you believe in so that you can actually help them create a memorable experience but because you're the one doing it you have the control over it and, have uh, the control and it, it's, a, it's an experience that's memorable for you and your brand not just the brand that you're working with it's, it's, it's so just to go back to your point of the, the, the cohesion against our brand versus the brands that we work with, I think that is super important to bring up as well because, again, we'll be touching upon mental health and my ADHD throughout this. Let's be honest, I don't shut up about it anyway, but I'm a promoter of it. But it, it, it is, unless I am hyper-focused or, or, or stimulated or excited around what possibilities that we could deliver... This is the unfortunate thing. Unless I'm stimulated, I can't. I can't work with these brands. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll look back at one of the early attenders that we did, and it was like within the first six months, and it was like I remember I was working from a, my living room uh, uh, coffee table, and um, we did um, we had an in, we had an inbound 
uh, regarding like a, a I'm not going to name the brand, but they they do basically car washes for trains and buses. Okay. Yeah. I mean, what what how how am I going to get excited about that? And I just no matter what how I tried, and it was that it was at that client. That client was a poignant moment. That not every client is 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 one for us because. Yeah. They wouldn't understand what our sparkle is that we can add to other brands because they don't require that sparkle adding to that they're selling bus washes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but on to better clients and more more experience. I mean, Godiva Festival is probably the most the the one that I like to talk about the most because it means the most to me. Now, I've been working with Godiva Festival personally um, for seven or eight years. I remember joining the the festival as a as a young lad six, 16 17 doing work placement working for free just to get my foot in the door and get this festival experience and that's one thing that i'd never ever um sort of regret is 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 pushing myself out there and taking those like low paid jobs to get the experience or to get my foot in the door anyway several years later i'm now the official booker for the festival and have retained that for sort of four or five years so what does that mean booker for the festival so all of the artists so i helped program and develop the festival we we, we helped i mean there is a huge team at coventry city council yeah and i'm very privileged to work again as an extension of their team but um i've been an integral part of helping sort of commercialize the festival it was always a free festival for 20 years yeah and you know any community whether it's Coventry, Birmingham, wherever it is, there's uproar as soon as you go from free festival to two pounds. <laughs> yeah. And it's having to combat and fight that. But I, I, I look after all the programming and stuff like that. So what I've done with the festival is taking it to um, better programming, better quality of acts, but allowing the programming to speak for itself. This is why you're paying a tenner. It's a tenner. I'm a Coventry lad and it's sort of an integral part of the Coventry Do you calendar. Support Coventry year. Football Club. No, unfortunately not. I used to, so here's a story. Um Junior Sky Blues. I, I remember my mum and dad put me into them and I probably lasted about three or four days. I got I d I don't think I really got on with them. Uh the whole football thing. It was I got put into martial arts age five, so that'll tell you a lot about me. And I did <laughs> I did that until I was seventeen or eighteen. So um again I think about my my diagnosis, and I look back and I look back at, at, at times like that, and I'm like, hmm, does start to make sense, doesn't it? <laughs> so no, not a big football fan. Although they are doing very well at the minute. The last time I watched Coventry City, I think Darren Hookerby was in midfield and Dylan Dublin was up front. So we're talking like early Dion Dublin passes. legend, <laughs> absolute legend. And we met just before Performex. That's how we met. Someone recommended you. I really felt like our brand values at Grow Factor aligned with Above and Beyond. And you helped us, even though we had a small budget for the, for that event, you helped us. I was speaking, so we also had the bar to sort of create an experience. Great looking bar as well. Yeah, really Great nice looking bar. bar. But on a budget, you were able to help us create an experience that made people feel straight away, okay, these guys are accountants, but they're a bit different and create that element of interest but you as a company ultimately organized all or most of that event for yeah. all of the suppliers that are there i mean we we so steve orton i mean he's been on air talking to you he's 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 been a part of my journey for 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 quite a while i mean i, I won't ever remember i won't ever forget um his kindness um 
drawing the, the, when I when I was made redundant, he was the first person to call me up, make sure I was all right, and yeah. just offer his support to enable me to sort of continue to live, continue to earn earn money. So. Yeah. Um, me and Steve have had a good relationship. Um, he he's he's part of the Performex board and uh, explained to him what we were doing. We'd already worked together with brands such as like Hustle Clothing and stuff like that, big CrossFit brands. Yeah. Um, and he'd done some introductions with us already, so it was a natural next step. So we 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 tendered as you you've got to do for all these shows. So we still competed against their current suppliers and any future suppliers. So. Um, and uh, and then won the tender, so we delivered the full production at the show. We helped a number of different brands, including you guys, to sort of create an immersive space at the show. Um, but we, irrespective of budget, irrespective of direction, like there is always a solution to yeah. make your space better. I mean, it's just about pairing the right entertainment and right offering yeah. to the right clientele. Like you, you mentioned, people naturally. And you probably get it all the time. Accountancy, oh, it's boring. Accountancy doesn't have to be boring. If anything, to me, it excites me because mm. it gives me a way of understanding how I can manage and, and use my money to its advantage. But when, you, when you're when selling that, and that's what you were doing at the show, yeah. you need a way to entice people in a more relaxed environment. So that's what we did. We had a, we had a great uh, female DJ performing across all three days. We had like uh, all of your branding around there. We had specific pod areas so that you could just have those soft like um, introductions and conversations with people without slamming down, I'm your accountant, here you go, like yeah, here's a business but you, card. But I think you only knew to design it like that because you took the time to speak to us, understand who we were and understand how we work. So one of the things we wanted to do was offer people free advice conversations at the event. Hence, you said, well, it would be a good idea to have an inviting space that has a vibe but isn't too loud that creates people wanting to come there but they can actually sit down and get some advice on their business it's taken it's taken again i think it's it's what we try and do with all events it's taking what is normal and throwing it out the window and doing yeah. what's right because it's not everyone can do the same thing over and over and over and over again but that's where you get like it just becomes stagnant like and you need to think outside the box. It doesn't have to be expensive. And that's what I try and push across. It's so it's easy for me because I've got what's what I call my ADHD X-ray vision. So I can see it, I say that I see it into people's souls. I can understand, <laughs> I can understand and read people quite yeah. quite well. So when it comes to understanding people's business and direction, it yeah. takes a very small conversation. Obviously, I talk for most of it, like I used to. <laughs> but it does take uh, a small conversation for me to understand. And then once I get it, that that that's all it needs. I just yeah. need to get it. And then I, like then the team get to work and we, we end up sort of ticking all the your KPIs and boxes and everything that you've got to report back to your, your manager. I mean, yeah. I think there's a few things there just to unpack and then we'll go back to what you were doing before. One is you had already created trust and belief in people and a network while you were an employee such to the point where when you made redundant people reached out to you without you asking them for help because obviously there's an element of them liking you but they wouldn't reach out and try and help you if they didn't think you were the best person to do the job steve selfishly will want the best person for his event yeah. to run his event yeah. so one is creating the biggest sphere of influence you can 
Secondly, your motivation, which I always speak about, is helping people and doing a good job. And then the money will follow, not the money. And I do think lots of big event brands are motivated by the money and not actually the experience. And third, we talk about um, strategic innovation. There's a few books on that one. Blue Ocean Strategy, which is really good. Tony Robbins talks about it. But strategic innovation is a way of differentiating yourself from your competitors. And how you're doing that is by, which you may be just doing not even consciously, how do I make this event different? How do I make it a lasting legacy type experience, not just a transient moment of fun for the people that go there? And so there are three things for viewers and listeners to take away already from it. If you're gonna approach things, do things for the right way, don't do them for money, build a big network and try and work out how you can strategically innovate your product or service. So just going backwards for a sec, we know now you're running this fast growing, super successful agency that's working with big brands and people are seeking you out now. You're well known for doing good work. We know where you're at now. Tell me a bit about, you do, it's up to you how far back you go. I'm not going to go too deep. Tell me, <laughs> tell me a bit about what you were doing before you started Above and Beyond. So there is a lot of probably more X-rated content, which won't be out on this podcast uh, from my time probably in the nightclub industry. We spoke about that in the kitchen a little bit. I yeah. mean, you can speak about that briefly just to give some context. Probably so what the- were you doing in the nightclub industry? Or- organising... The nights and being the yeah, club so promoter. I, I, I literally worked from glass collector all the way through. So glass collector, bar staff, supervisor, gem, assistant manager, general manager. Then I was running, whilst I was a general manager of some ve- events, yeah. I was putting on events at different nightclubs. These ranged from sort of 400, 500 cap bespoke sort of events all the way up to sort of two and a half, three thousand thousand three two and a half to three thousand people yeah um and you've just worked your way up from that why why did you go in at glass collector how old are you then 15 16 so you've gone out of school and you went straight in were you i was still studying i was still studying these this was like so what actually got me into events right back in the day was we all used to go and two liter bottle of strongbow sit at the park with your mates little sony speaker and it just wasn't doing it i think at 16 there was a there was a there was a gap in the law so the law was um if you are 16 and you're accompanied by an adult yeah you can have a drink yeah with food and then there was a slight change and i just look at gray areas it's just the best way to sort of go through things and it's um so this there was a gray area where i could allow both 16 year olds and 18 year olds to mix together the 18 year olds were all right to drink and the 16 year olds were like all right to have an experience of of a a nightclub so I was 17 or 18 at the time. My brother and his friends, two years younger. So yeah. our friendship groups naturally over the years, you have like a, a two years of like sort of groups of people, don't you? So yeah. it, it, it works. We were already running house parties and sorry to all the mums and dads houses that I've ruined over the years <laughs> by bringing sound systems. And yeah, Liam Langford, I'm going to shout him out because his mum and dad's got... Uh, terrorized. I remember someone actually threw someone down the banister of the stairs and knocked out every spindle. So th- 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 there was time for change. We needed to stop ruining our parents' properties and actually go into a nightclub. So 
But you're at college at this point as well. You are going through the education yeah, I'm, system I'm, at the I'm same in, time. I'm in sixth form and I'm running 16 plus events for my brother and his mates, yep. getting all of my mates, paying them 30 quid each because they're learning how to DJ, yep. paying my mate who's doing a photography course, 50 quid to come and take some photos. So you're just starting your own thing organically. No one's telling you you've not got a mentor. You're just like, I enjoy it. Yeah. Let's see what's logical. Pa- I need to take pictures to get, but you're just using common sense, basically. The power of Facebook yeah. was a lot stronger back then as well. There was, I remember, invite all and everyone will ruin me for it. But you, I used to have four or five different accounts. Obviously, you could blast them up. And it's just yeah. it's just that old school mentality. Nothing's changed. Just restrictions have got more on it. And it, yeah. I'm still that promoter now, deep down. But growing up through the criminal underworld of the Coventry nightlife, system which was very much hardened me as an individual and sort of made me very so socially aware and aware of the world it's, mm. it's a very important part of my life um but i i'm i've sort of you, you go through a progression stage don't you and there was a lot of learning i made a lot of mistakes when i was younger i remember one of them i booked kissy Salah, who's a big dj on radio one bought some for a thursday probably only had about four or five hundred people in and I sat on the stairs of the Cal- the Coliseum or Casbah, head in my hands, because I've lost four grand. I was only 18. Yeah. Four grand wow. to me at the time was a, a lot, lot of money. money. Yeah. But then the next night, six grand in the plus, and I bought a brand new, like a second-hand golf. So it, it swings and roundabouts. But um, pushing forward, obviously, I went through the nightclubs and naturally did, did everything from sort of bespoke 400-cap venues to working at the Balfrey. So the Balfrey have a very... Uh, sort of prestigious nightclub called the Bel Air next to it. If anyone's from Birmingham, you would have heard of it. I was the general manager I there. I didn't know there was a nightclub at the Belfry. There is. Is yeah, it still yeah. there? Yeah. Well, they've just knocked it down because oh, okay. because they're building a new spa on it. Shock. But oh, right. uh, yeah, that was okay. another one of my uh, another one of the random things that I've, I've I've done over my time. This is not under and through the above and beyond brand though. This is just no. This Sam is just Sam Stockman just trying to promoter. guide his way through life. Um, I then I, I sort of. It, there came a point where I'd I'd met my my, my wife. You finished older, college. So 20, Did you go to university or? No? I went to uni to for one year to study events management. Yeah. At the UK Centre of Events Management, I got there. I was getting taught festival management by a guy who'd never been to a festival before. Yeah. And I got taught event law by someone who didn't know the law in events. So, needless to say, I'm not very good at being taught. So, uh, yeah, I lasted there a year. Came back, went straight into my role went straight into an event manager role in a nightclub, 24 yep. grand a year. Yeah. And that back then, obviously it's not a big wage now, but showing my age a little bit now, that was quite significant. It was good to come straight out of uni with yeah, no, no degree. Back and then it's a good wage. It. It's yeah. a good wage, yeah. I had to get this sales. I had to get a sales role. That's the only thing that I knew how to do. I knew how to bring people to places. I knew how to convince people that this is a good thing to do. So naturally in my head is it must have just put me in sync. Like sales is naturally where I should sit. I worked for the Coventry Telegraph. God, what a job that was. So the newspaper and newspapers were declining. So this was the hardest sales job I've ever done. So I'm selling a full page spread for a thousand pounds that two years ago had a readership of 70,000 people and I'm selling it to a readership of 11,000 people with no discount. I still hit all of my targets but that really built me character and resilience from the sales side. Yeah, I, I heard so this a much. lot. Like if you have to tele-sales, say you're young and you're thinking about starting a job, yeah. a few people have said one of the best things you could possibly do is go and take a tele-sales job in a hard environment. 
100%. And you could not get better training in how to attract potential clients and convert them, right? Because it's so difficult. Two jobs, which I will never, ever, like, I would ne- I would always promote people to do. Go and get a job in hospitality and yeah. see how hard the people that are serving you to have a great time work yeah. to ensure that you have that good time because it humbles you and it makes you respect people, especially like, I just, I can't deal with rude, intolerant people, mm. restaurants, bars, wherever it is. Just respect people. People are working hard to deliver you a good night. I think we don't do that as well over in the UK. Like my kids, and I don't see... Um, family or friends who've got kids who are older putting their kids into hospitality jobs because they think well why should we do that we can just give them some money and they can spend the extra time studying but if you go to Canada where I was recently all of my family yeah I mean the ones that we were staying with are multi-millionaires all of their kids have worked at every fast food restaurant going you know I got a burger I said oh I've just been to White Spot I'm not sure whether you've ever seen Howard and Kamal get the munchies of course the whole film they're trying to find a white spot so yeah. I really wanted to go and have a white spot burger yeah. I got the burger and came back and um, my cousin's daughter Homera was like oh you should have told me I used to work there I could get could that, get I could have got that for free yeah <laughs> and they've all worked everywhere because they know and understand that if you're in hospitality it teaches you so much is is one that I would always recommend like you can't I can't I couldn't run a business if I hadn't done those sales jobs I yeah. really couldn't it's the it's the grit that it's on the mornings where you feel like you can't push through and you've just done a seven like three back-to-back 70 hour weeks and it's the sales jobs where you struggled and you had to grit and grind through that make those mornings possible for you to carry on. And yeah. without those mornings, on those mornings when you push through, you will notice yourself. I do it all the time. They're some of the best days. They're some of the best days for sales. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the world aligning you that to say that, well done for pushing through. This is this is what you come off and says. So tell me um what happened <laughs> after the sales job at the newspaper, because that's obviously a, a downward slide. I don't imagine you would have been I, lasted, well, I imagine you would have been smart enough to get out of there. I lasted you know, a year, point. a year and a year and a month, and then I remember I was like, I'm, I'm actually quite good at sales because they gave me, I think it was about a half million pound target or two hundred and fifty grand for print, and then a, like a hundred and something grand for online, and I'd, I'd done one hundred and seven percent. I was like, I'm actually not too bad at talking to people. Here. I might just see what else I can do and obviously I've had this passion for events I've already done sort of eight nine years in events so I go sales events how can I go together luckily well one of my uh one of the senior members of the team Mark uh was my was my next boss and I moved over to Freeman EMEA which used to be the UK's largest exhibition company um they since exited because of uh covid um, and went back to America where their stronghold are. Okay. But I spent a year and a half with Mark there uh, delivering exhibition solutions to a number of blue chip clients from Burger King, McCain, Coca-Cola, Lamb Western. So you're learning Britain. all the time. I mean, oh, probably if someone offered you that, you would have done it for free because of the learning around well, working on those clients. I wouldn't say free. I ended up coming out with quite a nice bonus. After <laughs> that, and that's what then led me on. So then obviously you see the pay increase. You then see you smashing the sales out and again like it's, i'm not trying to say it, it's like i'm i'm overachieving but I, I did overachieve again in that role and it was 127 percent. i mean my first i remember going into it and me and mark always refer back to this story as well is that um 
we used to get specific shows that we could target and call out. My first show going into that business was the Burger King Supplier Conference. Now, this is all the all the suppliers that supply Burger King. Yeah. Now, because they're all of su- such a sort of high sort of stature, they're all blue chips, they're all Coca-Cola, Britvic and stuff like that. It's there was there was very low expectations of me. I think there was a target against this show of like fifteen grand. The show did one hundred eighty-seven thousand pounds within seven days of me working on it. And Mark and like I remember Alice Walker as well, who's like a colleague who she was always she always smashed it. She 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 actually taught me quite a lot of what I know. They're like how. How the god, how is this guy just coming in, smashing these calls out and and signing up the likes of like Coca-Cola and McCain and that? And it just from there, I think I just grasped the 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 love and the passion and the I just like servicing people. I think I think it's just it gives me a buzz to make other people look good. Yeah. Um and that's that's what this role is. I mean, Freeman, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how I don't want to run my business. I learned a lot about how much money you can make in events, but equally, what's a fair amount to make? All events. <laughs> it's all a mirage. <laughs> um, so I think that... Oh, sorry, I need to get, re- remember your question. Say again. My question um, I can was, go back to corporate. If you're um, at Freeman... I mean, it wasn't yeah. a question, it was just a point. You're at Freeman, you're also learning so much about what you're doing there you're taking it all in what happened and where did you move naturally from there corporate world isn't really where i belong i mean it if i'm honest it sucked a little bit it's it's you you're you're working for the man i think is the best way to describe it and i don't working for the man it it's okay to a point but the man has to be an entrepreneurial smaller business like your team working for you is different to yeah. you working at a big organization right and then i joined what was at the time a disruptive smaller corporate business i went over and joined grenade and honestly it was probably it was a it was a tough year and a half but the lessons that i learned and the people that i met and the journey that i went on with that business will always remain part of my integral workings and equally how I want to sort of push the business in, in the right direction. What I mean, was your role at Grenade? So I started off as the events manager, believe it or not. Three months later, COVID hit. Yeah. I get pulled back from the first event that I, I was in. I got told to isolate, go back, come back home. Nobody knew what was going on. But what they did realise was that... Um, I, I got on really well with my, my senior, uh, Neil Duffy there. And um, I learned a lot from from that guy. And he really, we, we, we just got on. And he was very protective over me and my role. He'd spent so long to get this events manager position in. And then yeah. obviously nobody could predict what was going on. Yeah. Um, but it happened. And Neil, to this day, I still respect him. He, 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 he fought to keep me. And he could see... Hopefully, I hope you'd agree, um, he could see something special within me and he knew that what I was doing was sort of aligned with where the business was going and mm. I could support that department. Um, and we flexed my role. I, I became a project manager. We delivered a load of uh, like a a big launch in Target stores in the US with yeah. uh, with Emma and I, I worked on the international side. I moved around the business I supported with the operations team, but then... 
um, ended up as a brand activation manager. So uh, what a job from driving a bright orange tank through London, campaigning when they closed the gyms because of COVID, yeah. um, all the way through to launching a, like a 100 foot tall hot air balloon in the shape of a grenade. Like there was no job that was like that. And we were flying over with a big England flag on semi-finals of the Euros and we're getting in all of these local groups like um, UFO spotted over like the Isle of Wight or Liverpool like Echo like trying to find out what this unidentified flying object was. It's, it's those levels of disruption that I learn soaked in, loved every minute of and then have then gone to sort of progress into the, into the business. I remember Al. I mean, we didn't we didn't work really closely together because obviously my direct line into him was via Neil. So Neil always fed into Al. But obviously, naturally working with someone like Al, you you pick up things and you pick up good things. The two things that I I sort of resonate and and stick by um, is that one that he used to say it. And it's uh, ask for forgiveness, not for permission. And that's something that an erratic ADHD mind just absolutely loves. I love to love to see it because it's it's if you do what you think's right at the time, and if it's not right, you can make it better. Yeah. So the second thing is uh, the realization that I'm unemployable. Um, and that came sort of when I left, and we'll get we'll get to that in a minute. But it's knowing what doing. I couldn't have gone from driving a bright orange tank with James Haskell on the back through London to then go and work for. And I did do it. So I wasn't going to mention this, but I did do it. I went from being made redundant to working at Danon, trying to market bottles of water and yogurts in a supermarket. I went and I got a well-paid job. They were trying to, they were, they were paying me well. It was a transition from Grenade and I'd gone from that to that. And at that point, that's when I crumbled. And that January in 2021, I uh, suffered really badly and got to the point where I didn't want to be here anymore. And that at that point, um, it, it, it was enough. I knew that... so. I'm just going to read it straight from my phone because I had to write it down and it, it, it's because it, it it's because it means something. I know that this isn't... Uh, I'm going to have to stop it and do it properly, but hang on. Before you read that as well, while we're still rolling, I'm not going to cut this out. Yeah. Tell me who Al is. Alan is Al, Al Barrett. He's the CEO and founder of Grenade. And Grenade um, are an incredible company, right? They started not that long ago and now they are like a global bar phenomenon right yeah they're more i mean so they've done really well and some of that success is the disruptive marketing that you were a part of for that period of time i believe that like so again like i mentioned about the godiva festival it's an intent like with a huge team of Coventry council developing it it's grenade is a huge it, well we had the perception it's a huge team it was a team of 50 when i joined um and there was there's so many different there's so many integral parts but I do feel like I added to um the team's efforts to enhance the value of that brand from 77 million when we joined to when yeah. it was sold to Mondelez um for 200 million when I got made redundant you were part of that journey yeah yeah um, that, okay so that, let's talk about that as well because I want to understand the redundancy and if it's part of them being sold then that is something we should touch on and 
what was the second bit of advice that he gave you? Because you, you told me there were two bits. Sorry. So I'm so, really, do you know yeah. what? You've opened the door, but you haven't let me through. So <laughs> I'll do this. Gotta... I'll do this a while. So I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, I'm unemployable. Um, the the fact that like you've got to don't ask for don't ask for permission ask for forgiveness yeah um and then thirdly down here is that um it's it's more the drilling in and this didn't come from Al this came from Neil and Neil but then again it came from Al via Neil but what good what does good look like and I ask my clients this a lot what does good look like in this campaign? What mm. what what's the end result? And it, it, it is a bit of a wanky term to say like, what does success look like? But it, my point is that to Neil, what good looked like was never there. Yeah. We were never at perfect because it can always it can always be better. Yeah. You do a campaign, it gets across like the 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 um, keep gyms open campaign. It was everywhere from lad bible to the mirror and still at the end of that we would have a debrief and it would be like how could we do it better how mm. could, because and that's why i always strive for perfection this is what the above and beyond part of it is is that you've got a level which is there yeah and a lot of businesses think that that's a good level of delivery yeah but if you don't always aim to be always better, ask what could you have done better you're just going to plateau and your business will fail at some point yeah i love that i love because i always put everything back to football because for me football is life and i'm mad about football and if you look at someone like i'm going to say unai emery this time not pep i'm going like that no 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 right he's <laughs> what team seen them one <laughs> win five nil he's on the bus reviewing the film straight away yeah. Not enjoying, which maybe he should be, but not enjoying the win. He's looking at what they could have done better and the chances that they missed so that next time they can just incrementally, our tagline, if you like, at Growth Factor is small changes, big impact. Just consistent small changes that over a period of time have a big impact on a business. I do it. I do it all the time. I'm, I'm, I'll, 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 I'll microanalyze anything. I can't go to, I can't go to an event and enjoy it. <laughs> this is my life. I'm, yeah. I'm, even even on other people's events, I'm showing. I'm I'm seeing how, how like how they could do it better. But no, I, I did I did learn a lot from Grenade and from and they were Al. sold right. They were sold. So. What Al Barrett said to me and the rest of the team was that they would never take the personality and the 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 je ne sais quoi out of the brand. And no matter how big they got. But now they are just a chocolate bar brand. Yeah, they are. They they. Where's the tank? It's still at tanks a lot. Not been pulled out for a couple of years. The hot air balloon they've used because it's probably within with a contracted sort of a man. It just mm. w your personality is no influencer campaign anymore. There's nobody speaking about their products, and this isn't like obviously I. I mean, I had I bought an Oreo grenade on the way to work yesterday, and I paid three pound for it, and yeah. I still and I always will because the products are elite. The team are elite. There is the, the the brand is an elite brand, but one thing that that I won't do is go back on that. I mean, who knows when you're in that situation whether you would sell your soul to the devil. You probably would because it's it's money and it's this is like the setup. But yeah. what did you do next after being made redundant? I mean, I think the word redundant is quite overlooked. I mean being made redundant you don't just lose your job and your income for me for a good few months i lost myself my purpose my um 
my, my confidence, my status. Um, and it, it, it did tear me. It took me, like I say, I spent January in a very, very downward spiral and a dark place. But um, I took my last £1,500 and I financed the MacBook, which is still the MacBook that I use now. Um, and I paid my mate 500 quid to set me up a website and a thousand pounds to help, uh, to, to get a member of team to help me with my administrative tasks. Yeah. And I set up above and beyond solutions in February, 2021. And I've never looked back. There's not a day that I wake up and no matter what the struggle is, don't feel like I'm going to go and better myself and better other people. Um, I've ne- I feel like this is this is what I'm meant to be doing. This is this is how I can help others, and this is this is going to be a platform for growth for not just me, but for those people that have jo- joined me on the journey from from the off. And there has been like key individuals that have helped carve the success. This is no way we are not we are not in this business because of just me. Yeah, uh, and that is a key lesson that actually the business owners that start a business are technicians. Like I was good at accounting, you know, un- really understood numbers and business, but I can't do that forever. I need to bring people around me who are better at each individual area of the business, who I can trust, who also look out for me yeah. and understand my flaws, and then you can grow the business together. It's something that I think that we do very well above and beyond solutions and that is keep within our lanes like i am not i i I want to employ people who are better than me yeah it's the only way to do it like you there's no point that a lot of businesses fail i think by or not fail but they they don't grow as quickly because the owners or the 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 hierarchy at the top are scared of employing people that would be better at a certain element of the job than them. Yeah. And I think that it's just absolutely backwards. Like I know what my skill core skill sets are, but out of a hundred percent hundred percent worth of what's running a business, I can probably deliver forty to forty-five percent as an expert. Fifty-five percent I'm either blagging or I'm having to outsource. Yeah. So for me, I need to get those at those those um those th- that resource internal. I need to ensure that I've got a team of experts around me so that I'm good at 45%, but the other 55%, I've also got experts in those fields. And that then helps benefit me, but equally benefit the client. Like I've now got someone who can talk to them, who can uh, create 3D visuals for their stand. I've got someone who can help them with sponsorship and partnerships. I've got someone who we can build their expo for them, an expert in brand marketing. If you need a website building, if you want social media support, if you want a PR agency that you've worked with, if you want an accountant, we've got this black book of people who are our trusted advisors and who are extensions of our team. Yeah. So you can see what we're doing now. We want to be an extension of their team, but we've got an internal team that we won't ever try and we won't. I don't want to try and wear every hat because you, you're not being the best value for your client. Like they want me for expo, for live, and yep. for my disruptive brand marketing campaigns. Yeah, the big. If I try, if ideas, I try and start yeah. to talk to them about social media marketing, I used to be good at that when I was yep. running events when I was seventeen. But the world's moved on, and so have I. I'm not. I'm not an expert in that field, so that yeah, would that would be passed on all of those things. Exactly. But ideas 
idea generation, which is your, by the sound of it, genius zone, will always stay the same regardless of the technology or the algorithms or anything else, right? Exactly. Where did you learn that from though? Do you think you learned that because you went and worked for these big companies and you saw that for them to operate a company of that size, Grenade or whomever, they have to have delegation of responsibility and control within the organization. Like there's not just one person running Grenade, right? There's a team of people working in their respective areas. Yeah, I'd agree. And I, I think that equally for like sort of from a price point of view as well, you know, like from getting the best value, like I've, I grew up, uh, so my parents divorced age eight. Now back then, divorce wasn't really a thing. So yeah. I we lived in in a nice area in Coventry, but I was always the poorest out of my friends because we didn't have two household incomes. So mm. since a very early age, I've had to have a lot of jobs. I've had to work hard for my money. Nothing has been handed down on a silver platter to me in any respect. So I think that that mentality, I, I treat everyone's pound as my own. And I'm a bloody tight bastard when I want to do it as well. <laughs> but then that 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 shows that I think it's just another level of care. It's another level of care from you to your client. You know, um, if they know me and they know how stringent I can be on my shows, then they trust me. You're going to trust me with a hundred pounds if you know I'm going to spend it the best I can. And they're they're the lessons that I've taken from places like Grenade. Yeah. Is that okay? You've got a hundred quid. Now you can either do something and just work averagely and get one campaign for a hundred quid yeah. on there going, here's five campaigns. I've spent 20 quid a, a go because it, you, you know what I'm trying to get. Obviously yeah, the, yeah, the campaign yeah. size scale. Make it go as far as possible. Exactly. Taking key principles for them. One is have a team around you. The other one are the principles that we spoke about that you got from Al. Yeah. And you've applied them to your own business. You know, when you bring people into your team, how do you make sure that they are better than you? Uh, how, and how do you make sure that they share the same standards and values? Because I've met members of your team and they all, I think, share the same standards and values and you can feel that instantly. But do you do that in a practical way or is it more of a gut feel? I think my gut helps. It, my gut's good at like sort of my first impression or like I, I, I work a lot off sort of like vibes basically like yeah. uh, internal external vibes and i think that gut feeling is number one but i have to i'm i'm a very particular individual to be yeah. able to work with me you've got to be a certain person okay so that has to be reflective on both ways i think that the best way to create that and to ensure that it is the right person is to work. I won't employ anyone unless I've worked with them in a fast-paced moving environment. Because before, okay. before you won't get a, a contract of employment with me unless you've been on an event site with me. Because yeah. everyone can talk the talk, but when it comes to an event festival site or a or a or a panic moment, yeah, tell me how you're problem solving. Because that's all we do. Anyone can build an exhibition stand. Anyone can be, we're creative problem solvers. So yeah. that's what I need to see. And you can't test that. You can't sit in an interview like this and yeah. go, show me how you, how you, because like, they'll just, that everyone's got a preset question that they've already written down yeah. like 10 years that's good years advice ago. for anyone, right? I mean, when we first started, we've hired and fired so many people. If we'd have just taken them on for 90 <laughs> days and given them real work and work together side by side, we would have instantly seen whether we wanted to continue with that or not, right? 
But that's the benefit. Wherever it's possible. It's the benefit of being in this industry. We we have more. I can bring them in as a freelance individual yep. for a week or two or give them sort of a like sort of a trial period and stuff like that. I mean, we we I will say like we've had one, maybe two bad hires, but we are already a team of ten. It's yep. eighteen months in. Um we're doing what we say we we, we were gonna do. Um and the team Without the team, like without people, the business is nothing. And yeah. I always, uh, I will always lead by that. Above and Beyond Solutions isn't just me. I know that I talk a lot and I, <laughs> it seems like it is. But without those nine other individuals driving driving the business behind me, we wouldn't be here. And I reflect that in how I try and treat them and how... Um, the, the sort of respect levels that what I give back to them. I'm a very giving person. I'm I'm not I'm not an asshole to work for. I'd hope that they would agree, but um I, I'm yeah, I think that those mutual respect, I respect them to help have my best interest and the business's best interest at, at the forefront of everything that they do. They know that if they do that, the return is that they grow with the business. I mean everyone will benefit from the success. Yeah. And how important is it for you to understand yourself? We haven't, I mean, you've touched on it, but we haven't spoken about it. I know that you had a diagnosis of ADHD. Talk to me about when that was and what were the like issues or problems or struggles you had before that when you didn't know that's what you were dealing with and how has it changed since that? So I think this is probably one of the first times I've really verbally communicated it. So, um, I lo- I lost myself. I I, I thought that it, it was always me. Like I thought everyone else just was not dealing with things like I would, and I didn't understand. And it took well, I was age thirty, so two years ago, I finally got my official ADHD diagnosis. Um, and I'm probably autistic again, but that that then is a further three year wait, and by that point, I just with waiting it was it was it was two years to get diagnosed so it's been like a four-year journey um getting diagnosed was tough at the start it was imagine everything that you've learned about how you are and who you are as a person is all wrong Mm. and you've just got to sit with it whilst you're waiting for six months to be um medicated by something which is an amphetamine it's it's it honestly was one of the scariest and most bonkers journeys i've been on um what was the reason for seeking out the diagnosis like what were you trying to get out of that and what have you dealt with in the past in terms of your behaving a certain way you didn't understand it people's perception of that just talk to me about that yeah i think it was it was an impact like i think that i knew in myself i I was actually going i was actually having counseling at the time and my counselor um and i was having counseling because of the place that i was in from the redundancy and because of the personal traumas that i was going through um and i just i couldn't understand and I i was i was trying to sort of like come to terms with like, why am I different? Why do I feel like this? Why do I think like this? Like why have I grown up not being able to like hold down a job? Why have I had 15 different jobs? Why have I been a bit of a bad lad? If 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 people like, why 
if I get told that I can't do something, do all I want to do is go and do it. So it's, it, there, 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 there was a lot of sort of warning signs, but obviously mental health and ADHD, mental health in general, especially amongst males, has it's only come to light within the la- within the last five years, and it's it's I'm a uh, I mean my strapline on LinkedIn is proud neurodiverse business leader. I'm here loud and proud now, wanting to communicate about ADHD. But um, it was empowering when I got my diagnosis. It was almost like I knew that I knew that I would, there was something there. I knew yeah. that there was, and again. It, I, I'm not, it's not an excuse. It's, it's, it's more of a reasoning and understanding. And I think now three years on from my diagnosis, um, so I, I went through titration and they tried to give me two different types of amphetamine. I just, I, I naturally manage my symptoms now. Um, and three years on, I feel like I, if someone said you're happy that you got diagnosed, absolutely. It's been a, it's been a life changer for me. I've, the ADHD diagnosis has allowed me to run this business mm. and empower myself and understand what my core skills and strengths are and then really hone in on them. When you know how to control your mind and when you know why you're feeling and experiencing things and you know, right, I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed in this situation, take myself out, yeah. you start to get the best out of yourself. So I've been, I feel the best way to describe it is, I feel like I've been working at 50% because I've been having to mask and I've been having to sort of work harder than everyone else because I've been not understood. Yeah. Now I understand myself, I'm I'm getting closer to that 100% mark. Yeah. So competitors, you- when I hit 100%, you better be ready. Because <laughs> I'm only at 70, we're only warming up. I'm looking at the camera for that. <laughs> Would you recommend for everyone to get therapy, see a therapist, to better understand themselves, not to find out if they've got a clinical diagnosis of something, but just to, if you understand yourself better, which is what I'm taking from you, you know then what your strengths and weaknesses are. You know how to forgive yourself in certain situations. No one, yeah, no, no, no one in this world has had, has doubt, has gone through life with no trauma or yeah. no impact on their mental well-being. I think that the rise in social media, processed foods, staying indoors, the impact that COVID's had on everyone, and then the trauma that's come from either vaccination or or, or death from COVID. Again, everything impacts. With, with therapy, I think, I've always thought about this and I have actually discussed it with other people. Like going, going to the doctors to go and check in on yourself because you've got a pain in your knee. People don't go in and check in on themselves when they've got a pain in their brain or they've got uh, like everyone's, everyone, the basics is, is that, yeah, everyone should have access. But I think it's access. Access is the biggest thing. And that's so- the thing, isn't it? I used to hear this advert on Peter Crouch's podcast when they had a sponsor. It was it was an online therapy service where you could access a therapist in an easier way Better and do it. Is that the one? I think it probably is. That's one of the ones I've used before. And okay. So you've Would you got recommend that. Yeah, I mean, you, like because uh, it's the accessibility. I used to go to a therapist, and there's two reasons why I stopped. One is I literally couldn't get anything else done for the rest of the day because I would go there for two hours, like cry my eyes out, 
there and on the way back. And then I'd have to go to bed for the afternoon. For the, last six, for the last six weeks, I've been doing it on my lunch break of the car. Can you imagine going to work, doing your therapy session in your car, and then having to go back into the office? Like, everything's good. Yeah, it's very <laughs> it's, difficult. It's, so, it's, And I didn't really have a way, or I didn't push hard enough to find a way of changing the slot time or doing it less regularly or whatever it might be. But the, the idea of a remote situation where I could pick that, maybe at the end of the day, where after it, all I'm going to do is sort of chill out anyway and share things with my wife and, and that kind of thing might work better i think i think charities play a good part because my, my, my point on sort of more access was more if the i want cost to speak, of it if i want to speak to a therapist it's 60 pound and i'm and i've got 45 minutes of their time yeah and i was paying 300 pounds yeah for 90 minutes yeah because of the level of qualifications of this therapist yeah. And how? And again, if you if I want to speak it's to a not specialist, sustainable, right? It's twelve hundred pound a month on therapy. I mean, I've 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 looked at ADHD coaching. I've looked at a number of different things, and it's simply the cost. Like I love to have an ADHD coach. I think it would be brilliant. I think I'd help yep. train myself. But at the minute I've got to be my own because it's three thousand pounds for four one-hour sessions throughout right. the space of a month, and I'm like, I, I can I can appreciate the benefit, and it's not. It's not about the money when you're benefiting yourself. I understand that, but that's not accessible to everyone. Yeah. Like, luckily for us, it would be affordable if we were to choose to to use some of our expenditure on yeah. on an item like that. Yeah. But your average Tom, Dick, and Harry, they can't even afford the sixty pounds because look at the state of the world that we're in. And I think that the the people that are struggling the most are the people who also have the lower incomes and stuff like that. So I think. I always promote mind. I always promote better help. I always promote the the charities and the people, the Samaritans and people like that, that you can just call up and speak to. Mm. They don't, they, it's, it, it needs to become more accessible. And I, I think that I know it's got to be a good idea for everyone to do it, right? Not bury your head in the sand. No. Also, even if you feel fine when you're working and then you go and start a business, uh, some of the things that I'll struggle with is I can't really share that and sit down with my wife and talk about it because she doesn't understand what it feels like. And it can bring anxiety and these other things to the forefront if you're running a business because you've got so much to think about and you're thinking about it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So sometimes it might be helpful to download on a regular basis to someone independent to relieve that stress. I think any business owner is it should be a, an essential part, and that's why I continue to do it now. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like I just mentioned to myself, I still have therapy. I still go yeah. once a week. It's being cut down because you wouldn't to go to the gym, get up to a hundred kilo bench, or see your abs for the first time and say, "Okay, I'm done now. I don't no. need to go back to the gym, do I?" You want to bet yourself, and I think yeah. it just how how keep like like you say, there is a lot of pressures. Like I've gone from um, living out of my brother's spare bedroom. Like saving for for my first house, yeah. Um, very quickly to having to find thirty five thousand pound a year to make the business run. Mm. That that's a lot more zeros. Yeah, I've gone from three hundred and fifty pounds in a box room to three hundred and fifty grand, and it, it, it is that scale. But the the the, the pressure then is not just the pressure of having to find that money every month. It's the pressure of being responsible for ten other households. Yeah, you're now not just responsible for yourself. You've got other people. And, and sometimes there is pressure that's real. And sometimes there's pressure that we just put on <laughs> ourselves to hit notional targets, which yeah. 
is almost impossible not to do. So it's having someone to talk to that is a therapist that maybe actually understands the entrepreneurial situation you, that you're in. And the, and the, cause I've had therapy before as well, where we've sat down and we've spoken, it's clearly evident that it's a pointless conversation because they don't understand. It doesn't make sense to them why you would put notional targets on yourself and then feel the pressure, anxiety and burden of it when it's not even a real target and you don't even need more money. No. You've no. just said, you just I want to get from here yeah, to here yeah. in this time. It is, And then made yourself feel horrible because you're not quite on the line. Yeah. I mean, that happened a couple of times in the, in the journey. I remember, so we... Uh, we were, um, so I, I've always taken as much support as I can, obviously with the ADHD. Coventry and Warwickshire Chamber of Commerce have been a great support. Um, I remember uh, there, there was a lady who helped me called Linda and also Rita Booth. Um, we've since been funded by the Coventry and Warwickshire Reinvestment Trust as a, as a business a reinvestment piece. But anyway, this was the reason why I'd started these comms with them. So we're having this business uh, to business sort of peer to peer, like she was almost guiding us in the business. And I'm like, we're doing well. And we're, it's, it's good response, really good support level from them, all free of charge as well. So obviously a, a government council specific RAN uh, support scheme, which I think is brilliant that, especially in this climate, that we, we can still have this, especially yeah. for businesses of my size. Um, anyway, I remember sat there talking to this Rita Booth, uh, Bearing in mind at this point, we probably only turned out about turned over about a quarter of a million pounds seven or eight months since. So we were already doing really good. Yeah. But I was sat there like, we're gonna do a million pound in revenue in eighteen months. She was like, "Fair play to you, Sam. Fair play to you." So ask me a few more questions, and we're starting. I'm seeing where this is going. I just want to put you in, in touch with Advent Communications, Adam Dent from Advent Communications, great user. So he's come in and he's gone, right, we're going to spin this out into a big PR campaign. It goes across multiple websites and I'm like, okay, we're pushing it out online. Like young entrepreneur on track to do 1 million pounds worth of revenue in his first 18 months. I remember getting home that night when it had gone out and lying in bed and it was one of the nights I don't sleep very well anyway. One of the nights I didn't sleep very well. I went, what have I done here? <laughs> what 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 have I bloody committed to here? Um, and the 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 sharp realization that I'd done a quarter of what I said I was going to do, and I had another like eleven months to reach it was very stark. But saying that again, the the drive between me and the rest of the team by fourteen months, we'd done a million pound in in confirmed revenue, and we're on track to do double that in two years, which so. is incredible. And I think sometimes, like I did a post about this yesterday. At the start of a business, you have to create false negative realities in order to push yourself to work that hard, to take the momentum and the opportunities that are there at the start. Absolutely. I think it's just about, like we said, if you've got someone to talk to, a therapist outside, a friend, a family member that can bring you back to reality and understand that it is just a notional target and a forced reality, you don't put so much pressure on yourself that it's affecting your mental health. Because I used to go around telling everyone in my business that we already turned over a million pounds yeah. when we were at like 300K. Yeah. Because I'm like, I will just will it into reality. Yeah. That's is, and that is and, exactly, and that's exactly <laughs> what I did. So again, you, I mean, you do our, you do our figures. We're not, although we're uh, probably what often 1.4, 1.5 confirmed revenue, 
we're still yet to see the full million pound hit the bank because we've still got clients that were on were on four year projects. Once the contract signed, that's confirmed. That's yeah. confirmed revenue, and that's what I've based it on. But we'll, just we'll going talk back, about accruals accounting at another point. Yeah, yeah. Right. I don't get told off. <laughs> but no, just going back to your point of having that re- reality. Just one more point that I wanted to add was that. Um, business is very lonely as well yeah and that's why I'm, i wanted to come in more with like sort of a discussion point around mental health and stuff like that because without the team like one of my one of my directors jenny she she just understands everything that there is to do with my brain and equally is just there as a as a huge support i mean she's she's sat in the room making sure she's my filter today giving me evil looks when i'm over talking a little <laughs> bit too much but um having people like Jenny keep keep you on track and keep you believing in yourself when you when you start a business you've got a set of goals and a, a set of objectives are, are you okay I'm gonna use the analogy and people are gonna laugh at it because it's pretty accurate so you've got the chattering teeth that you wind up on the table right yep. it's on the table I'm the chattering teeth because I'm just waffling and that's how we get into get into life Jenny's the person that's just come on this way a little bit just keeping me in the straight line. So I'm going from this side of the table to the other side of the table. Yeah. And that's without, and without people takes, like her, I would be I wouldn't be within myself. I would like Jenny seen me go through the whole um discovery with my ADHD and has yeah. helped me develop as a person. And it's it's those people that you need on your team by your side. It's those people that are going to elevate not just the business, but you to new heights. Like they're the people that care. Once you've got people around you that care about you and the business as much as you do, that's when you know you win it. Yeah, 100%. And sometimes it's just luck you find them. Like I found Yasser, my business partner, one of the best bits of advice I got from Paul, who is a mentor of mine. He runs one of the fastest growing accountancy firms in Australia. He's a global accounting advisor with Tony Robbins as well. He basically set up Global Accounting Advisors by approaching Tony and saying, this is what we want to do. We want to help business owners at your events get access to financial advice and tax reviews. Anyway, he was like, when you find someone like that, that you can trust, that does the bits that you're, that's not your genius zone. For, for me, making sure client work gets out on time, it's you know accurate, all the workflows getting done, all of that operational, the cogs moving side, that's not me. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I want to create the content, bring the clients in. I want to talk to clients like you, headline, but I don't want to know about your bookkeeping and all these things because yeah. I don't want to get dragged into that. Exactly the same. You, as you've got to keep them, right? And to keep them, you have to make them feel ownership in the business, whether that's giving them equity, whether that's giving them uh, an amount if and when the business is sold, whether that's linking their remuneration to the performance of the business, whatever it is, it's like speaking to them and and, ma- and helping underst- helping yourself understand what ownership means to them, getting yeah. back to one of your quotes, what does good what look does good like look for like? you? Yeah. If you ask that question to them, they may not care about shares or exit or this or that. They just want X, Y, and Z. And if you give them that and they feel part of it and they feel security, like all of their extra hard work actually results in something, then they'll stick around. Do you know what? I think I've, I've taken a, a good few things from that. So the first thing that I'll take from that is that I've had a number of 40 plus year olds who have seen one million pound in revenue yeah. have tried to latch on and 
these are the people that might have done one or two good things in their life and have have latched onto that legacy and are still living by that. You've not done anything for seven years. Yeah. Like, don't tell me how to run my business. Whereas the people like Jenny who cut or, or Mark or Callum who come into the business and they do it for the for the best of the business with no expectation. They just trust in me. They trust in my vision and they, they don't even have to see the vision or know the vision. They just know that I'm getting us from A to B and they believe in that, that it, that speaks volumes and that the, they know they're all, they're all well remunerated anyway. And this isn't, like I say, from the start, I'm not interested in the money. This isn't no. my business. This is, this is so that we can put Jenny's daughter through university. It's so that Mark's, Mark's son has got um, a bit of a nest egg so that if he wants, what, what he wants to do with himself, he can go and do it. It's so that the twins that I've got on the way are going to have that protective base. I'm not, it's not a selfish act and you need to surround yourself by selfless people who, who, who genuinely do care about you and have your best interest. I'll put down here because I have to write notes because otherwise they go out of my head, but a finisher. So I, I, with my ADHD, I do strive for new shiny objects. That's why the business, my part of the business is going out and driving those new clients, getting yeah. new business. Because once I, I get told this all the time, you get them to eighty percent, and then you just you just can't be asked with them. So I get them through the door. I get them the sale. I get the sale done, and then it then gets handed over to what we call in the business a finisher. Yeah. So it's someone who will take it that last twenty percent, but then not just take that twenty percent go and do the 10% extra to make us above and beyond. Yep. And then it's the after show, the, the the makeup to then make them more of an account manager. I'm a new business lead generator, like the lowest form of the sales pecking order that you can get. <laughs> like where, it, but that's the bit that I enjoy. Everyone yep. else I'm sort of teaching or, or already know how to do the account management. They know how to retain people I think that, yeah, so I, I didn't want no, to... No, that's right. You build people much, yeah. around you that have got different skills so that as a business, I always talk about a business being like spokes on a wheel and you, the spokes are your different departments, marketing, sales, client delivery, finance, legal, all of those things. Yeah. If you ranked your business right at the start when you it was just you, you'd probably get an eight or a nine for sales, an eight or a nine for idea concept. When it comes to client delivery, maybe like a three or a four because you won't follow through. Finance before you met me, like a two. <laughs> right, so that bike, it won't get very far, very fast. <laughs> no. and it'll probably fall off. Yeah. Whereas if you can bring people in that raise the level, so you've got all of your spokes, even at an eight, you're going to have a much smoother ride, a much faster ride. You're not going to fall off the bike, right? I stole that analogy from Tony Robbins, but I just love it. I like it, but I want 10 spokes on my bike, not eight. Okay. I don't even then, know how many spokes are well, on Well, all bike. 10, this is this is what I mean. All 10 of my members of team are are all at that 10 out of 10 level for me. I don't yeah. like, you, we're thriving for, for perfection for our clients. We've got to internalize that. And some of them will think that I'm being picky and some of them will get pissed off because I want to do it a certain way. But it's only because we know that that, that method, methodology or that way works. For, and it's high standards. And then yeah. you'll attract people and retain people that have also got high standards. If you yeah. look at, say, Tesla, the people that work for Tesla don't actually get paid that much. They could leave and go to other car manufacturers like BMW and get paid way more. 
they work for Tesla because they believe in it. When they're yeah. having a new car launch, yeah. I've heard a story about where they worked for like 30 days and they were literally sleeping two or three hours a night. Yeah, They're not getting paid any extra for it. No, because they're that excited to be doing the job. They they're feel part of it, yeah. Entitlement is something that I've had to fight against. And I mean... Not all Gen Z. I don't want to. I don't want to sort of put everyone into a because we've got some really great people who are classed as the Gen Z generation who work for us already. Is that the young ones? Yeah. Yeah. It's the. It's the. It's the entitlement. I should be on this wage. You should do this. I should get this regimented. Like I'm all for like we 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 do barbecues. We'll do staff days. We'll have a drink in the office on a Friday. We promote going out on. We have a lunchtime walk with everyone. Steve's an old gym instructor, so we'll do a body pump class on a Wednesday and a Friday. Like that. But what I won't what I won't tolerate is I deserve this job without any work. Like yeah. I said to you from the start, I've gone from a glass collector. I've done every single job that there is to do within my chosen field and grafted to to ensure that I I become an expert of that. You can't just walk into somewhere and have those expectations. Yeah. So yeah, well, I don't, I don't want to drill Gen Z too much. I feel like I've just gone on a rant. No, but, but it's <laughs> good advice for a young person who's looking to join a team to learn to maybe eventually go and set their own thing up. But actually, yeah. if you want to be successful and be part of an entrepreneurial team, you may find that you don't even need to go set your own thing up because if you join the right company, you can grow with them. Just experience what? as much as possible. Experience as much as possible. And if there is something that you've really wanted to do and, you, and it's not a paid for role, go and do it because that's all that happened with Godiva. I, I did that for free for three years and now I've retained a contract, which is a significant amount. And hopefully that will be for the next 10 years. I've already done it for five. So yeah. it's it's... It's about your attitude and attitude, especially within events and this space is everything. You go with a, a bad attitude on site, you'll be the first one to go. It's true. We recently took on a client in a space. We're opening an office in Dubai this week. We took on a client. Thank you very much. Right. I'm not making a big deal out of it. No. Um, <laughs> we took on a client in Dubai. I won't mention them, but they're one of the biggest brands there is in the health and fitness space. And we're basically doing that work at cost. Yeah. Because we recognize that being associated with them and delivering a good job and creating a case study is worth tens or hundreds of thousands of pounds. Exactly. They also recognize they have power in that negotiation. So we reach a point where we're both happy, where I'm not doing it and it's costing me money, but I'm not charging for it because we both understand that there's a, there's a, you know, there's a relationship there that we need to meet halfway where we both feel like any deal, both parties should feel like they're getting value. Absolutely. If they were paying full rate, they wouldn't feel value because they've spent the last 15 years building up such a big brand and such a big audience that they want to utilize that with their partners, which is fine. It's exactly the same way that we went when we when we started. I mean, like a lot of the, a lot of the old Grenade staff who then went on to new roles, then came straight straight to me from that trust aspect but yeah. like so ben gridley from uh built for athletes me and ben worked really closely together at, is that the backpack yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i've so got one of their yeah, backpacks they're good they're cracking they're cracking yeah. they are really really good they're good yeah. quality um he's actually moved over to red bull now fair play to him because he's very good at what he does um but built for athletes like ben i would 
he was built for athletes were our second client after we did some work with Gymshark and that was a good, good go hitter via Scratch Creative cheers Ben Lofthouse um, and uh, BFA were our second client and yeah. to be within that space and to go boom here's built for athletes backpacks who were an emerging brand but quite a sought after one in that space I did exactly the same temperament as you I, I it's Ben of course I'm going to help you out, mate. No, I know that you're growing. I know you're going for investment. Let's work together. And we worked at margins that were like 15% here yeah, and, and you there. Just, and you, you just do it because you want to make him look good. And then he's now leading us into Oracle and Red Bull. And yeah, that. so sometimes see the bigger picture, be flexible. But like if you're listening or watching this, you don't have to do it for free, but you can make it clear that you're just covering your cost. Yeah. And then they'll be really happy and also indebted to you yeah. moving forward. Like if I said, look, I really want to come over to Dubai and create a case study vlog with you guys in it, presuming they're happy, we've done the work to a good standard, they've got a good return on investment, they will do that because they feel indebted the fact that we've actually done this work for them. Well, exactly that. I mean, the CEO, I think he is, Danny, uh, who I really got on with as well, he could appreciate that Ben had called in a favour for us to deliver Expo for them and, and their brand activations at a much cheaper rate to then enable them to get their sort of huge uh, investment piece that they they managed to secure and and he's written us like recommendations like he, he's constantly all over our socials and stuff and it's it's those little bits when you're starting out having the COO of a big business like that commenting on you it, it does do you good it, it cemented us within the health and fitness space going yeah. Gymshark built for athletes and then looking at like sort of like the bigger lookfantastic.com campaigns that we've done, like taking over Performax, becoming an official supplier and stuff like that. It all it all added together and it just What are your um in a nutshell, in a shortened form, what are your scale plans for the business moving forward? And how is that changing now that You've got twins on the way. Happy days. Congratulations. Oh, scary times. Scary times. <laughs> so, um, I mean, scale is like, it's objective, isn't it? My, my... Uh, well, what are your plans for the future? Okay, yeah. So, the, the plan is just to continue to do what we do at the level that we do yeah. and strive for greatness. I mean, I've got, I've now learned my lesson very much so from... One million pound revenue in 18 months. I'm yeah. not putting myself into that pressure again because I did feel the pressure, but it was good pressure because it got us to the point where we needed to be. Um, for me at the minute, personally, I need to gain a bit more of a work-life balance. Yeah. Which is something that as a young business owner in the first two years of business, it's quite hard to do. Um, but there does need to be that level. Now, I'm, I know personally that I'm not going to be able to just take my foot off the gas completely, but having the ability, now that I've got the team in place, because yeah. we've worked so hard on what, what that team is and the structure within the business to enable me to do this. Now, six months ago, I wouldn't have me is, um, we, we, we've gone from literally my living room coffee table to shared offices at Cobb University to then... Uh, my friend owns like an entertainment space in Coventry. We then use some uh, sort of, uh, you know, like the hybrid works, working spaces up there. So we yeah. took three offices up there. And then within 18, we're already in a 4,000 square foot warehouse space with office. So it'll be to grow into that space. Next door's coming up to, to, to let in the next six months. So that will be 
we want to grow into that. So double and the size. And if you've got equipment and stuff then, because you don't need 4,000 square foot for, for your headcount at the moment. No, no, of course. So we, 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 uh, so we do a lot of storage for people, but we're also investing into um, sort of systems. So there's yeah. a... The, the, there's there's a system build which is um, sustainable, which is really important to us and the rest of the team, um, and environmentally friendly. It's called AliVision, so we've invested quite significantly over a hundred thousand pounds worth into AliVision kit, along with our suppliers who do all the build and stuff already. They're already the largest holder of AliVision kit in the UK. What is AliVision? It's just a system build, so it's it's basically like you've got so you've got B matrix, which is like a, a like a, a again a, just a metal system work that you can build uh, sustainable uh, exhibition stands with, and then you've okay, got Ali got Vision. It. Now, if if any of the B matrix team will watch this, then I'm sorry for what I'm about to say, but B matrix is more of like your Ford Focus of yeah. the world, whereas the Ali Vision is most certainly more like the BMW, Mercedes, Aston Martin, like the more higher luxurious and you can do more with it. But with with our suppliers being the UK's largest holder of uh, of this system, what we've done is spent a hundred grand in enhancing what they've already got yeah. so that, that we're now the biggest and best supplier of this system in the UK, if not globally yeah. or across Europe, because then that sets us apart. There's no point so in me you're just... constantly looking, it sounds like, for what can we keep doing that keeps separating us from our competition. Yeah, and looking at mergers and stuff like that, like I, I don't want, there's no easy road to success, but there is there is quick avenues and routes that based on my 15, 16 years of, of industry building, yeah. like with Sutherland Expo, for instance, like we've, I've worked with Ian as a like as a foreman on the on a job of building stands for him for many years but there, there's been this route to get to this point now we've then helped his business over the last two years by farming a load of jobs off to him my best mate's the his number two so we've got that link in but the at the minute we're on two journeys like that and eventually they will cross that's yeah. why we're heavily invested into the same system because i i can foresee that cross-pollination. So a way of scaling is to merge with other companies. That are already, that, again... Complementary so services within the same industry, right? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're not multi... They're, I have no aspiration of being like this big corporate giant with a 50,000 square foot warehouse and all. Like, it then takes the personality out of it. And what that, is your big, hairy, audacious goal? What, what does your life look like in 10 years? So your twins will be nine. What would your ideal sort of business look like and what is your daily routine sold. Look like? sold sold and i'm on a beach <laughs> i'm joking i could never be on a beach and um, my, <laughs> my, my 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 daily my, my, my daily routine would be to have a bit more of a, a hands-off approach with the business i want yeah. to be there as more of an advisory role by that point but i know that there is still so much work and graft to do to get to that point i've got other passions and interests uh specifically within sort of more natural medicinal um, ways to manage ADHD and stuff like that, which yeah. I want to, I want to eventually explore. Um, but for me, at the minute, the drive and the goal is just to continue working hard, stay humble, stay happy, um, and keep the right people around me. And the rest is down to the world and what what the world is going to put in place for us. I mean, I think that you can like 
two years ago, I wouldn't tell you that I was going to be owning and operating a business that's been valued at what it has with mm. two kids on the way. Yeah. So you can you can plan all you like, but who knows? I'm just ready for it. And I think it's being that resilient and uh, sort of prepared state to scale or we could have, COVID could happen again next year. Yeah. Could be screwed. Yeah. And that's <laughs> where I think it's important to think about the risks. Yeah. What's likely, what's not likely and mitigate for that, which you can do by holding cash reserves and making sure that you've got your numbers on, you know, you're on top of your numbers and things like that. What, we're going to have to do a part two and I'd love in part two, so we've got a bit more to do, but in part two, I'd love, well, we'll take actually comments from viewers and listeners. What would you like us to cover? My idea is that actually I'd love to go into a bit more about how you're running the business and how you're scaling it, managing capacity, managing your projects and a bit more of the practicalities of that side of running that business. Because I think sure. the lessons from a business that's as complex as yours, running a big project with so many moving parts could be applied to any service related, related business. My business is an accountancy firm, for example. I'd be interested in doing that just for my own purposes. If you were to wrap up three keys to success that you've had, because ultimately you've gone from nothing to a seven figure business in just over a year. Now, I think you've learned from your mistake of setting these big notional targets and you're just, it sounds like you're just letting the business grow organically at the rate that it can grow without deteriorating service quality to your clients. Absolutely. Right? And you keep on top of that. What would be three keys to success that you could share with you know, our listeners and viewers? The, the lessons for the listeners, I have got five because um, obviously I'm Sam, I've got ADHD and I over talk, so three is not enough for me. So the first one would be if you surround yourself with the wrong people or have one bad apple, your whole car is is fucked basically. Yeah. So but but I don't need to go into that. It's pretty much self-explanatory. You you I've removed bad apples that were poisoning the, the apple car and since then the business has been better. Yeah, hire fast, fire faster. Yeah. But then learn from learn we've from we've spoken about this enough. Yeah. But I think really go back and listen to the bit of the podcast where we talk about hiring on values. Exactly. Uh, be less trusting. Not everyone has your best intentions and most people are out for themselves. Other people's selfishness can benefit a business as long as you know how to manage it. So be selfish, but in the right ways and just be aware of like, I've been stung like with people who have like mm. sort of, I've given a lot and I do get, I'm quite a giving person and it just, be what watch that you don't get taken advantage of because especially in those integral first few months or first three few years as soon as people see that you're doing successful and they're not as successful as you they will latch on and yeah, they will try and the milk same you thing i actually had a family member of mine who was kind of doing nothing with her life and i said well, why don't you come and join us we'll put you through the aca we'll we'll train you will support all of your studies, will teach you how to be an accountant. Bear in mind at this point, she's just bumming around doing nothing. Yeah, We did all of that on the unspoken, for me, trust that she would then work with us over the longer term. And even if she thought about moving somewhere else or doing something different, she'd give me, as a family member, yeah. a heads up yeah. in enough time that you could then bring someone else in. 
But your point is so true. You have to understand that people will be selfish, but talk to them to understand and really understand what their goals are. Yeah, because you to can still get where... it to benefit. Like the the girl the, the girl in question, like if she if she'd have been self she she'd taken your your course offering and she'd come and worked for you for two 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 well, years. Well, she did. She worked for three years, but then a few days after getting the qualification, ultimately, yeah, she left. Yeah, so which you do if you go and that's what people do if they go and work for KPMG, PwC, Ernst and Young, BDO, these kind of firms because there's no relationship. But like you said when you're too trusting sometimes and you assume a relationship yeah that's not really there then you can get stung never assume it makes an ass out of you and me (laughs) (laughs) that's not one of my that's not one of my learnings um don't be scared just do it you'll never be ready to make the leap i still now 18 months into this still wake up and go on i'm already is this is, is this going to be okay there has to be a point in your life where you just go for it and for me, it's a lot easier because I'm just shoot from hip all the time. Yeah. And that's something that I would take, that I would sort of suggest to neurotypical people to just take a leaf out of neurodiverse people's box. Be that shoot from hip person because you never, like, if you don't experience it or if you don't go for it, you'll never know. Yeah. Um, two more. I might change this to five keys to success. I'm liking this. Hang on. Sorry. Because this is the practical podcast for business owners. It is steps that they could take away. So the keys to success really is to make sure that even if we have, you know, diverted, and like you said, I don't think we have, but waffled on, there's practical things that people can go back and do. Even if it's a philosophy, like some of yours are a philosophy and a thought process, yeah. which is high level. But if you really think about, am I applying that on a daily, weekly basis, it will change your behaviors. Two more. So be prepared to fail time and time again. Fail fast, learn fast, go again. Fail fast, learn fast. Like again, another sort of Al Barrett sort of in like influx for for, for me on that one. Um, a lot of your your best wins will come from the mistakes that you've made and the learnings that you've had from them. Yeah. Um, the most important, probably, um, and a good place to sort of finalize: square peg, round hole. Pick people based on cultural and competency fit. There's no point in having loads of square pegs. If there was, if there was five, if there's any more than one of me in the business, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't, it would be chaos. I mean, <laughs> you need your your square pegs for your square holes, your round pegs for your round holes, your triangle pegs for your triangle holes, and it's stop trying to jam a square peg into a round hole as well. Like yeah. I've, I've like we've had this in in the senior team and in the and the in the junior team, senior team people trying to do. Uh, the, the areas of the business that, that they've not got that expertise in just yeah. stop pass it on to the people that have like, like we, we again we mentioned it earlier it's about having those expertise in the right area if you're 45% find you 55% and there's certain areas that you hire internally you know your assistant your delivery people your finishers but there are certain areas that like finance for example accounting you don't need Outsource. to hire internally because no. If you hired a CFO, that's 100 grand a year. Accountant, 50 grand a year. Bookkeeper, 25 grand a year. We're on 175 now. Yeah. Software, all the other things. You're probably looking at 200K a year to run a good finance department. But it's equally from Whereas, our side. We get you, we get Khaled, we get your full team of individuals yeah, for, for, for a that fraction amount. of the price. Yeah, right? it's, so, it's, it's, it's not about spending high when we've got, like, just having access to you, to me, is worth... 
the, the the fee that I pay each month, let alone with all the actual accountancy work that your team do that we're doing do, yeah. do around so it. To me, like I worked at Thomas Cook and where I came up with the idea of a virtual finance department is I was in group finance. I was assistant to the financial controller and I probably had three days worth of work in a month and they're yeah. paying me 60 grand a year. Yeah. doesn't make any sense no. because if you think about it, if you're doing bookkeeping each week, there's a big chunk of work each week. Yeah. Running all your financial reports at the end of the month, having the call with the client. Obviously, you're in dialogue with our team throughout the month as well, but there are these waves of work. It's not consistent. It's not accounting. It's not a consistent nine to five job for a, for a business that's scaling. How has it been? Because you've been a growth factor client for a year since, or so now. How, how has it? Yeah. How has it been? Um, and what kind of value have we added to your business? I mean, and I'm not just saying this because he's got me on his podcast. Like the, I didn't tell him I was going to ask no. this question either. <laughs> I love that twenty quid after. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, this is honestly this is an honest sort of uh, feedback piece. The controlling your finances is one of the biggest most essential parts of running a business and if you don't have a grasp of it you're then becoming worried about something that you've not got control of mm. i haven't had control of finances because it's not my strong point it's not my expertise there's no point in me trying to find someone who's a middle ground expert who i can then guide i just need an expert to come in and an expert team and that's what we get with you guys it's it's more than just an accountancy firm. It is like a sounding board. It's a, it's, a, it's a place where we can sort of understand and plan and progress. And like I say, I, I get five or six roles yeah. for the same value as like a, a mid to junior role within my business. And having control of your numbers now, having the visibility and the clarity, what has been the difference in, in you, how you feel? Is it reduced stress and anxiety around numbers has Absolutely. it helped you make strategic decisions like what's the actual point of it i'm not clouded by what's coming in what's going out what's coming in what's going out i can plan more concisely i can concentrate on driving new business and doing what is right for my business because it's unless you again unless you're an expert don't why are you why are you trying to mess with it like you don't have even I don't even have 5% of the knowledge of one of your team members. Mm. Why would I try and do it on my own? Why yeah. would I not just go and get an expert in the field for the, one of the most essential parts of your business is cash flow. Yeah. Without you guys, the business is, again, this is, when I talk about the extension of my team, my team goes beyond the people who work in my office. It's, it's you guys, it's my suppliers, it's my supply chain. Like Everyone has to wear the above and beyond solutions top yeah it's just and still yeah. mirror the values like what exactly. i loved about you which would me would be the sixth key to success <laughs> sorry is that you're willing to invest put your money where your mouth is and you want the best partners yeah so we are not cheap grow factor you like you said remunerate your team well you're not talking the talk as in saying like okay i really need to get control of my legals my documents i need to bring in the best people i need to hire the best accountant but you're trying to penny pinch here and all over the place two things one is when you see value you're willing to pay for it second one is you make decisions quickly yeah and i think both of those i see and talk to a lot of entrepreneurs entrepreneurs that make decisions quickly and are willing to spend their money to invest in the growth of their business always do significantly better than the ones that 
are distrusting then take ages to make a decision yeah right last it's too like my brain's already on to like three weeks time i've made my like i make my decision not instantly because i have to have like so otherwise it can become shoot from here but yeah, yeah it's quick but you, you'll probably force yourself to make that time now and yeah. then make the decision right yeah but yeah. also using your adhd superpowers yeah exactly look at me through <laughs> my vibe, through my the vibes. zoom call where we first met <laughs> and decide whether i'm a good trustworthy guy or not <laughs> no we clicked it's again it's yeah it's and that is important any supplier any internal team member you have to click it's not like oh this is my lawyer he's a great lawyer but i don't like him don't hire him it's about trust like you i want to be sat around a table like like i want to i want to be working with someone who we could go to the pub and we're yeah, going, yeah. going to have some food together and be able to have a, a relevant conversation i appreciate your business i appreciate your acumen and and how you are as an individual i want to be surrounding myself with individuals who are similar in 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 work ethic in yeah. in in how they are and that's that's integral with work i don't want anyone associated with my business who aren't the best at what they do yeah why would you i totally agree um which is why we hired you for our event and we'll do again Be too is kind. there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on today no that's that's a first for me as well yeah i don't think unless have i got anything from the filter over here no <laughs> no no i think i think that I think we've covered off. I mean, I've tried to be as honest and open. Um, I would say that if anyone is sort of in the position where they find themselves wanting to start a new business or wanting to look at into the world of events or have always wanted to run an event or a festival, um, reach out, reach out to me. I'm like, even if you just want your your idea sounding. Equally, if you do have any sort of brand activations or events delivery that you want to discuss i mean you you've heard what i say this is this is this is quite an honest conversation like there is no hard sell here we're having a conversation yeah and this is this is this is how it is if you want to sense check your current prices against your current supplier because you are using a london agency and you know that they are making 45 percent margins um just give us a shout just let me know you can find me on social media on linkedin on on via our website or speak to Simon and I'm sure I'll be able to give him some commission as he does give back to me. <laughs> or you just find that your events and your experience are hitting that good point and actually you want them to be leveled up above and beyond. There you right? go. Love to see it. Leaving a lasting memory. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming down. Appreciate Sam. it. I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you very much. Thanks guys. That's been another episode of Founder Stories. I think you'll agree it was a really special one today. If you've got any questions, concerns, you need help, drop them. Uh, all the details on how to contact Sam will be dropped into the description to the video and on the podcast show notes. So that's it for me and I'll see you in the next one.